Thank you for joining us for our third episode of Off the Cuff by Weaver Simmons. I am Matt Butler. Darren Choan. And we are grateful to welcome back Zach to discuss the real applications and the real challenges of these COVID-19 vaccine policies in the workplace. And we left off last episode talking about uh, arbitration and the decisions that these arbitrators can make uh, and how they impact other arbitrators' decisions. And I had asked Zach uh, to explain to you, the listeners, do these arbitration decisions uh, inform the decisions of other arbitrators or are they held in isolation? And I think Zach told me and what he was explaining is that of course, policies are dependent on words and they're, they're developed in specific contexts of different sectors. So uh, perhaps now it makes sense to get into maybe some real examples of those decisions and how they can impact you know, our listeners and what they can look for if they encounter a policy. Yeah, that's a, that's a good starting point. And I'm, I'm sure because the pandemic was very unprecedented for, for all of us, not just, you know, employers, employees, but we didn't know what to do. So when when we were faced with these mandatory vaccination policies, was there anything that in the legal profession as lawyers advising clients, was there anything you guys based yourself off um, as opposed to just these policies and just going in with the, the new policies? Sure. So first of all, thanks for having me back. I appreciate it. The... Uh when this started and we started to uh, see the, the province in the country talk about in, incoming vaccines and vaccine rollout, uh, that, that started to foreshadow the issue that was going to arise, which is how do we, how do we deal with this in a workplace and do we need to mandate it and what's that going to look like? Um, so lawyers started looking back on the last 20 years to see what was out there. And what we found was that there was uh, a number of cases uh, over the years that dealt with um, vaccination in the healthcare sector, uh, where an employer, usually a hospital or a long-term care home, uh, would implement a policy, for example, asking employees to get a flu vaccine um, based on some localized outbreak issue. Uh, And periodically, you would see a union challenge that on what they call a policy grievance, so the union grieving rather than an individual employee grieving through their union uh, on uh, whether the policy is reasonable or whether it should be enforced against the bargaining unit as a whole. Uh, so there were several cases that came out like that. Uh, some of them went in favor of the, the hospital or the employer. Uh, one or two of them went the other way, uh, finding that the policy was an overreach. So just quickly, and I know that you probably have a follow-up question, but yes. for our listeners, um, you're talking about grievances. Can you just um, explain a little bit, you know, what a grievance is and how is that different from, you know, the regular employee-employer relationship. So a grievance is specific to the unionized workplace. Uh, If you're a non-unionized employee and you get terminated, for example, your right of redress is with the courts. You would would sue your employer uh, in wrongful dismissal. Uh, When you're in a union, there is uh, a process by which you can make uh, a complaint or or bring a case uh, against your employer under the terms of your collective agreement. So obviously in a unionized workplace, everyone is bound by a collective agreement. It's negotiated between the union and their employer. Uh, and every collective agreement has a, has a process for this. So if, you, uh, if a unionized employee believes, for example, they weren't paid overtime properly, they can file a grievance and it goes through the grievance channels and ultimately up to an arbitrator if the dispute needs to be adjudicated. So uh, when you see cases like the examples I just gave you, 
uh, the union is challenging a policy implemented by an employer. It goes through those steps and ultimately is put before an arbitrator, a private adjudicator that decides the uh, decides the issue based on the collective agreement. And this is the union doing it on behalf of all their members. Typically, yes. So when it's when it's something like that sort of thing, it would be a it would be a policy grievance they call it, uh, which is the union bringing bringing a grievance basically on behalf of the bargaining unit. That was actually a great explanation. That that really helps. Um, so you said there were cases where the, the arbitrator leaned towards uh, the mandatory vaccinations and, and where some, they went the other way. So what were the instances or what were sort of the implications of where the arbitrator said the mandatory vaccination policy was reasonable and then contrary where it was unreasonable? Absolutely. So what you can do with these historical cases is kind of look and see what were the factors that seemed to sway the arbitrator. And the thing to remember with arbitrators and collective agreements uh, is that both the collective agreement and the policy that is being grieved are unique to the individual employer. They're always a little bit different. And so the adjudication that's being done by an arbitrator is always going to be mindful of the fact that it's specific to some degree to these circumstances. Now, the cases, the historical cases that we saw in flu vaccines, where an employer's policy was found to be reasonable, typically involved a situation where there was some kind of localized outbreak there was scientific evidence supporting that having the hospital's employees or the long-term care facilities employees get vaccinated was going to help reduce the risk in the setting. Uh, it was also a, a situation where the setting was particularly vulnerable, and you can understand why that would be in a hospital or a long-term care yes, home. Yeah. Um, and so the employer's policy take that took that into account, and typically it provided some kind of option to employees. Sometimes that option was just an unpaid leave of absence. Uh, and sometimes that option was uh, uh, masking, for example. So it might have been a uh, vaccine or mask policy that was being suggested. Right. So where was it unreasonable? So there was one in, one case in particular uh, ha- a half a dozen years ago uh, in the Sioux area hospital uh, where a policy like that was found to be unreasonable. And it's a particularly long decision, but the arbitrator looked at a series of things there and had some concerns over whether or not the policy was really necessary and whether the policy was being implemented in a way that was uh, respectful to the privacy rights of employees. So one of the things that stood out in that policy, um, which was a vaccinator mask policy, I believe, uh, was they wanted employees to indicate with a, a sticker, I think, on their, um, uh, on their uniform whether they were vaccinated or not. And the arbitrator was particularly critical of that, that aspect of, uh, of the policy implementation uh, because it basically broadcasted uh, a healthcare decision of each employee uh, to the general public, or at least to everyone they're crossing paths with in the hospital, and that was one of the reasons where they found that it was uh, it was an overreach. It's a good example. It actually goes right into the next or the first case that we we discussed prior to, to filming today of the of COVID nineteen vaccine policies being challenged. Um, so, how did those cases and the reasonableness of the vaccines? get into that first case where I, I, th- I think it's Paragon? Yeah, so there's been a few cases in the last month uh, where arbitrators have commented on the reasonableness of policies in the, in the pandemic age, if I can call it that. And one of them was a case involving Paragon Security. Uh, so this is a large security company. They do contracts to provide security services for third-party employers, uh, or third-party companies, I should say. Uh, and they had a policy that was a little bit on the higher end uh, as far as requiring vaccines. 
this was a policy that uh, was found to be appropriate in the circumstances. Uh, and there was uh, a couple big reasons for that. One was, and I told you already that the collective agreement is specific, uh, this collective agreement actually contemplated that employees may have to get vaccines to perform uh, their role. Um, for example, if the, the contracted uh, organization that Paragon was providing security to required vaccines on site, then the employees posted there uh, were supposed to get vaccinated. Uh, so there was already a little bit of contemplation of this in the collective agreement, right? Uh, the, other, the other thing that kind of stood out with Paragon um, was that it wasn't it wasn't a situation where there was a there was a high degree of coercion, uh, which is usually what's uh, what's accused of uh, in the in the cases that go the other way, right? Uh, it was seen as a reasonable alternative where there was a requirement by the third party uh, for vaccinations to take place. What do you mean the third party? The third party is where these people were working. Right. Uh, so again, this is a security service that's providing contracted security to to an organization. So say, for example, one of the one of the places that they might have a contract with is a hospital and a hospital may well mandate that everyone has to have a vaccine on site. Right. Uh, so Paragon Security has to be able to supply workers that are vaccinated uh, in order to comply with uh, the site uh, that they're dispatching these people to. Uh, so their collective agreement actually contemplated that. That's really interesting. I mean, I think that from from listening to your discussion on that Paragon case, um, you know, it makes me think about situations where these employees who, I guess, are subject to this collective agreement, which they've never negotiated, presumably they've they're just subject to it, right? That does that is that how it works? Like the employees don't really have a say in the collective agreement itself. Or like, how does that work? I, I, I wouldn't agree with that, but I, I suppose it, may, it might depend on which employee you ask, right? A collective agreement is negotiated between the union on behalf of the employees and management. So typically the way that works, especially in a larger company like, uh, like Paragon, is the union will have a bargaining team that is comprised at least in part of a collection of uh, union stewards and employees that are there to bargain on behalf of the larger group. So some of them will be there for it and then ultimately... Uh, whatever deal is proposed by the bargaining team is put to uh, the general membership of employees for a vote. Okay, and then so the general members would then have to vote to ratify this agreement? That's right, and if the majority of them do vote, then the agreement's ratified. So in this case, Paragon had a collective agreement with its union from five or six years ago that did contemplate that those employees would have to get vaccinated in those circumstances. That makes sense to me. I think that, and, you know, we're going to be looking at some more cases uh, going forward that will show reasonable vaccination policies. And I think, do we have any that, that we're going to discuss that perhaps show unreasonable vaccination policies? The next well? one. Absolutely. Yes. So there was another case that was uh, put out mere days after the Paragon case that uh, went at least in part the other way. Okay. And well, I think you know, we'll look at uh, that case. Zach will let us know about that after our break. This episode of Off the Cuff is brought to you by Weaver Simmons LLP, Northern Ontario's largest full-service law firm with over 30 lawyers and 60 support staff. For over 90 years, the law firm of Weaver Simmons has proudly served the interests of Northern Ontario residents and has built its reputation based on exceptional services to its clients. 
For more information about the firm, please visit www.weaversimmons.com. The link is provided in the description below. So before the break, uh, we had talked to Zach about this reasonable vaccination policy of Paragon Securities. And uh, now I'm interested in the unreasonable side of these vaccination policies. And, you know, Zach so kindly has prepared a case for us that uh, we'll talk about the unreasonable policy going into, um, you know, what actually that looks like and what employers ought to avoid, I guess, when crafting these types of policies. Sure. Well, I won't take all the credit. I didn't prepare the case. I just heard about it. But uh, there sure. there was a decision relatively recently. <laughs> uh, in fact, it was only a couple days after the Paragon case uh, from the Electrical Safety Authority. Uh, and this, again, is an arbitration over the reasonableness of a policy. Uh, this decision actually did look at the Paragon case. Uh, the arbitrator did make a point of saying he'd reviewed it and he found its situation to be a bit more distinct. So the issue in the Electrical Safety Authority uh, decision is that uh, the authority had developed a policy that was uh, to be vaccinated or tested for its employees. And then a month or two later implemented a policy that was you now have to be vaccinated. Um, and that met some resistance. And that's what led to the, the grievance and the decision in the grievance. And uh, basically what this one came down to uh, is the arbitrator found that uh, that was uh, that was not a reasonable exercise of management functions under the collective agreement, and basically that it was there was no uh, demonstration that it was really necessary to up the ante, if I can put it that way, from a vaccine or test to a you must be vaccinated policy. And is this always looked at in the context of both the policy that was implemented, vis-a-vis the collective agreement that's in place, and whether those two coincide? Or whether they diverge? Like, is that how the arbitrator looks at these kind of ba- Basically, cases? yes. So there's there's a body of case law that kind of defines how it is this, this, this sort of thing is done. And what we're looking at here is basically a unilateral policy imposed by an employer. So uh, there's what they call the KVP test, uh, which is developed out of, uh, out of that idea. At what point does a unilateral policy uh, implemented by an employer cross the line, if I can put it that way? Uh, with the management rights that they're entitled to exercise as being an employer and consistent with the management rights provisions of the collective agreement. On that, can this policy that the employer has created, and let's say there are multiple unions in the workplace who have different collective agreements, presumably, that one policy applies to all the unionized employees now, does this one arbitrator's decision have a rippling effect on the rest of those, or could it have a it, rippling it might, effect on the rest of those? It might, and that's an interesting idea, actually. Yes, you, you do have larger employers uh, that have more than one bargaining unit, sometimes represented by different unions. So uh, I, I don't know, for example, you might have the United Food and Commercial Workers Union representing a group of employees in the workplace, and you might have the United Steelworkers representing another group of employees. Right. The employer might be putting in one policy that is intended to hit everybody. Right. Uh, and that may well trigger a grievance both from the steel workers and from the food and commercial workers, uh, which will likely be in front of their own arbitrators. Hard to say how that would play out, but uh, I mean, the potential is there for a, a decision one in one direction by one and one direction by the other. And I, I imagine there might be some discussion as to how best to streamline that process in, in that sort of circumstance. I want to go back to to the case because you had said there was already a mandate in place or a policy in place to be vaccinated or to be tested. And then they went to 
you, you there's a requirement to be vaccinated um, in the workplace. What were the ramifications, though, if they weren't vaccinated, if the employee wasn't vaccinated? Were they terminated? Yeah, so this one, the policy did contemplate uh, a discipline and potentially a termination of event, uh, event, excuse me, for failing to comply. Okay. Uh, and that was, uh, again, viewed by the arbitrator as, as some sort of overreach where there, where there was a reasonable alternative uh, and it wasn't a condition of hire for the employee, uh, disciplining and terminating an employee for not being vaccinated. Uh, in the uh, in the mind of this okay. arbitrator, at least, was not appropriate. But didn't we just see in the news, or aren't we just lo- hearing about this in the news? Um, the hospitals, the hospitals yeah. have now, at least from what I've read, and again, of course, I don't practice labor and employment law, but I've read that these hospitals are forcing their workers to be vaccinated, or they're firing. And in the context of ESA, what you just, I think, told me or what I heard from that was that that policy of mandatory vaccination, uh, which led to a termination event, was held to be unreasonable in that context. Are the hospitals allowed to implement this policy, you know, saving, you know, absent that decision by uh, the arbitrator in ESA? So context is key. And the first thing I should say uh to, I guess to finish the thought on the ESA case is this, the arbitrator uh, in determining the ESA case was very explicit that he did not want this to be viewed as a be-all and end-all uh, and didn't want it to be viewed as a, as a victory of sorts for uh, those who just refuse to be vaccinated without some kind of exemption reason. Uh, and he was pretty explicit in saying that the situation may well change. And it may come to a point where that becomes a necessity to have a, a, a vaccination complete uh, policy, vaccination only policy. Now, the other the, the other reason the context. So is sorry, key, he said that in his decision in the ESA decision. Yes. And this is like and again, are those comments, you know, I think from a judge says it's like obiter with this the legal word we use. But it's just is this just commentary that he's saying, like, you know, it's like a cautionary tale, like just, hey, I've made a decision in this case, but you know, take it with a grain of salt? Is that kind of what he's doing? I, I wouldn't call it take it with a grain of salt, but I, I mean, I, I refer the decision to you and you can uh, you can certainly review the language he's using and I'm, I'm certainly paraphrasing him. But the, 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 the takeaway for me of that case is that he didn't want this to be an absolute, this is the end of the line. Uh, the circumstances are never going to change. You can't have a policy like that. Uh, it seemed to me that the arbitrator was pretty explicit that that wasn't the case. Um, now you brought up hospitals. The other thing that's different here, again, context is key. The healthcare sector is an entirely different sector than the electrical safety authority. And the healthcare sector routinely deals with incredibly vulnerable people in incredibly high risk environments. Um, the, the historical cases I gave you were related to the health sector and the mm-hmm. long-term care home sector yeah. for a reason. That's where these policies tend to come in, tend to come in more, uh, more frequently and tend to come in with a higher degree of requirements on employees. And I'll suggest to you that they're more likely to be upheld in that sector, given the nature of what's going on. Have we seen any challenges to these mandatory vaccination policies from hospitals yet by unions? So the earliest decisions that we're seeing are injunction decisions uh, that are not commenting as directly on the policy itself. Uh, so is, we'll have to stay what tuned is, on Sorry, what is, like, what is an injunction decision? Well, you're a, you're more of a civil litigator than me, dear, and you might be in a good position to explain that. But basically, but the unions have petitioned the court to um, prevent uh, hospitals or other employers from proceeding with uh, termination or leave events uh, for people who are unvaccinated. 
uh, and they're asking the court to intervene um, for fear of having to wait a long time for an arbitration decision. So effectively just saying, you know, stop enforcement of the policy right now until Correct. further notice or something? Correct, yeah. Okay. And so, we're but we're not seeing yet or haven't seen yet a hospital policy being challenged and arbitrated on. We haven't seen that yet. Well, I don't have an arbitration decision that I've read yet today, but uh, stay tuned because you're certainly going to get them. Okay. Have we seen anything in the public sector yet about this litigated? Uh, there is an Ontario power generation uh, arbitration decision that deals with a couple different things. And it wasn't just a policy issue there. It was it was uh, a lot of that decision broke down how the policy was being exercised. So, for example, they went uh, they dealt with the question of, of of a testing regime and how a testing regime would be done. And what were the ramifications of that decision? So the big the big one in that decision, uh, the issue that the union had was for employees who had to be tested. Uh, were they having to be tested on their own time or, and who was paying for the testing? Um, and that particular decision uh, found that it was appropriate for the employees to be tested on their own time, but the employer should be paying for the test. Should be paying for the test? Should be paying for the test. In that decision, uh, that was the determination. Insofar as what? Paying what? the Having a test brought in, paying for a test kit... Or if, let's say, I had to leave the workplace, am I still being paid for that time? So I think the way they were doing it in that uh, by that employer was to have employees do the test on their own time and I think upload, uh, upload the test or a video of them doing the test uh, to some kind of portal for the employer so they had access to the negative result. Uh, but they were doing that at home. Um, okay. So that was, again, a determination that they can do that on their own time, but that the test kit or the cost of actually facilitating the test was something the employer was being expected to pick up in that decision. I don't like that. I think it's going to be a live issue. Um, And I mean, I think you're going to see a lot of policies um, in the non-union sector as well that will take the view that, you know, look, we're giving you an option of demonstrating that you're vaccinated or do a test, say, weekly or twice a week. Uh, And if you're electing to do this, and I don't mean accommodated, but if you're electing to do this, um, that maybe you should cover that cost yourself. So when you say you don't like it, what part of the policy don't you like? You don't like the fact no, not that... Not the policy. I, like, I don't like the, the ramifications that if an employee... And again, there are many reasons why someone decides not to be vaccinated. I'm not talking about right. someone who, who has a, an exemption under the Human Rights Code. But again, if you have, you know, if you make a conscious decision not to be vaccinated, that your employer is then responsible for the costs of these policies, uh, oh, these, the, you know, this, these test mandates. If I am to be tested twice a week to ensure that I am adhering to a policy and my employer is expected to pay for it, I'm not crazy about that. Right, because you're saying that the extra burden created on the employer yeah. is, unnes- is, is as a result of somebody who is potentially choosing to not be vaccinated. Exactly. And without necess- without a necessary medical exemption. Now, I, the- I don't know what the cost associated to this is. Um, and I don't know if it creates an undue hardship on the employer. But the, you know, the subjective decision or the, you know, the conscious decision not to be vaccinated to then cost your employer additional funds or monies but is, that- a, is an interesting dilemma that I'm not uh, I'm not fond of. But it- what I, I think, but I, my thought on that, and, and I think I, I appreciate where you're going with this, because 
you know, we've spent a lot of time t- today talking about big employers or, you know, the ESA, the hospitals. Great point. We spent a lot of time talking about these people. But, you know, our listeners and, and I think the people who are watching this are also going to be small business owners and people who are local business owners that are facing these live issues. And I can take it even one step further with your point by by thinking about that critical employee you have this really good employee but your workplace policy is that it's either vaccinate or test right and this employee who's you know you can say your star employee is choosing to not be vaccinated but you haven't got into the specifics and now these small business owners are forced to make a choice do i do I go through this additional burden of having the star employee accommodating the star employee um, in a in a environment where they are already potentially struggling for business and making money, and right. given the the you know the recession and the depression age era that we're in in this pandemic, but you know that's where I worry. That's what I worry about. You know, I don't worry about the hospitals and I don't worry about these these giant power OPG or whatever yeah, because deep pockets. Yeah. Right. You know, and I think I'm concerned more with, uh, you know, your local business owners who are suffering these consequences. And now they're, of course, they're not they're not unionized. Um, they're not in a unionized workforce and they've just got employees and they're dealing with these policies. And so. Um, maybe we'll get into that after the break because I think that we should unpack that a little bit. It's it's an important issue, and I think that people will want to hear about that and maybe what Zach has to think about you know, what small businesses can do. So I think we'll uh, hear from our sponsor, and we'll get back into it after that. This episode of Off the Cuff is brought to you by Weaver Simmons LLP, Northern Ontario's largest full-service law firm with over 30 lawyers and 60 support staff. For over 90 years, the law firm of Weaver Simmons has proudly served the interests of Northern Ontario residents and has built its reputation based on exceptional services to its clients. For more information about the firm, please visit www.weaversimmons.com. The link is provided in the description below. Welcome back. Uh, We were just discussing uh, the policy mandates on small businesses. Zach, do you have any comments to that? Yeah, so obviously the pandemic has been a lot harder on small businesses than uh, many of the businesses and organizations we've been using as an example. And uh, the added costs associated with uh, trying to maintain a safe workplace are challenging. So uh, for small businesses out there, what uh, I always do is encourage them to to take a look around and see what's available to them. Uh, The government has, over the course of the pandemic, provided supports or attempted to provide supports uh, to various types of small businesses. Uh, as well, uh, test kits are often available either in some subsidized fashion or some organization might be able to supply them, uh, which might alleviate some of the burden that we were just discussing. That's great. That'd be great for small businesses. Uh, hopefully they have their informed on that. Yeah, because I just, you know, it is a big concern because the pandemic has been hard on everyone and, you know, the government has been able to assist. So it would be nice, you know, I don't, of course I've not looked into it, but um, it would be nice to to see if the government would offer assistance to these small businesses to do uh, the testing or the you know at least to keep up keep these small businesses yeah. up to date with their employees because inevitably these people are going to face these challenges I mean they're going to face employees who don't want to get vaccinated and who don't want to get tested so and I mean I think that 
that that scenario is going to be more common than not going forward. And I mean, I don't know what like what do we do? Yeah, what, what happens? What, what happens if there? someone refuses to get vaccinated and then refuses to get tested? So likely you're dealing with a workplace that has a vaccinate or test policy right. of some sort. Let's assume so that. Let's assume that. If you have an employee who says, I'm not demonstrating proof of vaccination, uh, I'm not giving you that, either because they won't give it to you or because they didn't do it, uh, then said, okay, well, then the alternative is to do the, say, weekly testing. Uh, and they also say, I'm refusing to be tested. Uh, it's at this point where they're likely just in, in violation of your policy. Um, be it a small business or a larger business. This is, this is an employee who's not cooperating. Uh, likely that's going to engage the disciplinary process. Most employers have some kind of discipline policy. It's usually progressive. Um, but you'll likely see employees that are refusing uh, without some kind of justification right. to either demonstrate vaccination or participate in a testing regime uh, being disciplined and uh, hopefully not, but unfortunately quite possibly terminated. Now, that would be with cause then. At that point, I suspect it will be with cause. Uh, at that point, it's it's a compliance with policy issue. Uh, it's not an employee who's just being terminated for not being vaccinated. Now, what would be the differences without cause or with cause in this situation? So it depends on the setting, right? In right. a non-unionized setting, uh, an employer in Ontario can terminate without cause uh, for basically any reason, provided it's not a discriminatory reason. Uh, but they are going to be, uh, there's going to be an obligation on them to pay uh, notice and severance, uh, severance depending on the size of the company and how long the person had been there. Right. Um, an employer who's terminating an employee uh, merely for not being vaccinated is probably going to find themselves um, on the hook for some form of notice and severance pay. Uh, but an employee who's not cooperating uh, and is being subject to a discipline process is much more likely to find themselves not being entitled to that because at that point it's a for-cause termination. And we're probably going to see that trickle down through the court system soon, or it has been, just not been. I I fully expect we're going to start seeing decisions on that in the near future. Sure. That's great, Zach. You know, I think that tonight has been really eye-opening for me. I don't know about you, but I learned a couple things tonight. Yeah. uh, And I hope you know, I hope our listeners, I hope you guys learned something too. It's always interesting to have these discussions uh, with even our colleagues and find out all the work that they do uh, is, you know, nothing that we would ever touch on. And so it's, it's really, really cool to know that, really you know, we work yeah. with, with people that are, you know, driving the law and doing these things and, and really, uh, really in the trenches, so to speak with the pandemic. And I mean, labor and employment lawyers, I think at this point, are probably among the busiest lawyers because of all of these policies in place. And, you know, there's, you know, between getting consulted on policies and between drafting them, drafting them and, and, you know, how to implement them and employees talking to them about it. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a really interesting area of law. I think that this, this has been really, uh, really, really great. So thanks Zach again. Appreciate you you taking the time to be here with us. Yeah. Good to be here. Thanks a lot guys. Have you ever had a difficult relationship with your neighbor? You're not the only one. Tune in next week where Darren and I discuss funny neighbor disputes. Thank you again for joining us tonight. We'll see you next week. Make sure to like, follow, and subscribe to our podcast. Listen, do what you gotta do to keep us around, okay? The views and opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent those of Weaver Simmons. The contents of this podcast are strictly for informational purposes and not to be construed in any way as legal advice. If you have an issue that you believe requires legal advice, we suggest you contact a lawyer, and if you do not have the financial means to do so, 
contact Legal Aid Ontario or the Law Society of Ontario. The links are provided in the description below.